Okay, today we're getting back to the basics. Last week we saw the great command to love God with all. Today we're looking at the second greatest command coming here. Luke chapter 10. Let's see what Jesus has to say about this. Luke 10, we're starting in verse 25. Verse 25. Behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, pass by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii, and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Thus, we have the parable story of the Good Samaritan. Now, Luke chapter 10 here, uh, some people might say, well, this is kind of like a, a, a retelling of the same story you see in Matthew and Mark. Well, it's not really, of course, but it is a repeat of the same truth. And here we have a lawyer or a Pharisee. In other words, it's a religious group in, in Israel. And notice he's asking Jesus about eternal life. Coming to the right person, the one who is life, asking a great question. But notice he has the wrong motive in what he's doing. He's trying to justify himself. And so Jesus says, well, what does the word of God say? You're supposed to know the Bible. What does it say? How do you interpret what the law says? How does the Pharisee answer? By the way, it's the Pharisee, this lawyer, this religious man in Israel here, who gives a great answer on, on what is the greatest of the commands, or how do I inherit eternal life. He says, love God with everything you have, and love your neighbor as yourself. Notice Jesus' answer in verse 28. Very interesting answer, is it not? That basically Jesus says, well, you've answered correctly. 
Now, we could get into, is that really how you inherit eternal life? I don't want to get into all that. Kind of outside the scope of what we're covering here. But Jesus says you've answered correctly in verse 28. Verse 29, the Pharisee's reply is rather interesting as well, because he asks, well, who is my neighbor? In other words, think of it this way. Read, kind of read between the lines. You need to understand the way the Pharisees, lawyers of that day, thought. He's basically asking, well, what are the limits that I can place on who I have to love? Because <laughs> he didn't want to love everybody. He understood, well, that's really impossible anyway. So what are the limits? You give, me, give me the limits. They loved limits. They loved all kinds of man-made traditions and rules tacked onto the laws to help them to keep the law. So he's, he's kind of thinking, well, hey, I don't want to have to love everybody, so give me a list. So again, you need to understand, legalism and rule following, replacing basic truth of Scripture. Very dangerous. Wouldn't recommend you do that. Jesus is not recommending you do that. Notice how Jesus responds here. He basically tells this parable of the Good Samaritan. Now you need to understand, this is one of those stories that hits you right between the eyes. It's supposed to. Certainly would have hit the Pharisee right between the eyes. Any Jew would have hit him really hard. And so he answered the question, but he also changed the question to what was the real issue going inside his heart. Jesus knew that. He could see inside as, as deity. He understood that. And so who demonstrated real neighborly love in this story? And so Jesus answers that. Uh, who is the example in the story of the truth about loving your neighbor? Well, verse 36 answered that because jesus says which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among robbers the lawyer knew the answer did he not because he, he he says the real hero of the story is the one who shows compassion or mercy so again in verse 37 the pharisee says well he he, he understands it it's the guy who cared it's the hero of the story And so the parable is demonstrating for us some basic principles of how to love your neighbor. It's it's putting shoes on here where the rubber meets the road. And so we'll we'll look at this uh, few things here, and hopefully you'll find this very practical and and helpful. So basic principles of how to love your neighbor. Well, first of all, let me just mention what what love is not. Okay, so we'll, we'll see the kind of negative quickly and then look at the parable here and see what love is. How to love your neighbor. Who is your neighbor? Well, first of all, please understand that love is not a natural action. See, for us, kind of the natural thing is what the priest and the Levite did. And by the way, that was, uh, you know, these guys were spiritual leaders of their country in Israel. That was If anybody was going to show love, it was supposed to be those guys, the Levite and the priest, not the Samaritan. Uh, They were the ones, they would understand and follow and and supposedly model biblical truth. But what did they do? The Bible says, well, in Jesus' story there, 
Jesus says those guys ignored the injured man. Now, we're not told why. Because Jesus is telling a story here. He doesn't say why they ignored the injured man who is half dead. Uh, we can guess maybe possible reasons. Put yourself in, uh, in their sandals for a moment. Well, first of all, a lot of people don't like messes. We don't like blood. This guy's a mess. That, that's a good reason you might want to ignore the injured man. Uh, another one is uh, danger. There's danger here. Uh, nobody knows where the robbers are who beat the man up. Could they still be around, possibly? Could they be looking for some other people to beat up and rob? Possibly. Uh, the other thing is, like, like me and probably like you when you're busy, it's very difficult to, to stop, change your schedule. And that's exactly what's going on here. Busy schedule sometimes keeps us from loving our neighbor. The other thing is, is it worth it? Uh, nobody to, there's nobody there to see the priest and the Levite do any good. Jesus talks about these, these people who do things just to be man-pleasers. They want, they want other people to see their good works. Right? Jesus talks about that in, in the Gospels. And we, we know that was often their heart, and maybe that's the case here. So it wasn't worth it for them because there's nobody around to see them do a good work. Well, those are maybe some just some possible reasons to think about. But whatever the case is, the Jews would have expected both of these men to help an injured man. That's what they're supposed to do. But they're not. And so Jesus showed here that love is not a natural activity for us, certainly not in our sin nature. In your human nature, it doesn't come natural. And so there, we need to understand there's a choice that must be made here, proper choice. So as we think about application, understand that humans are naturally selfish people. We, we naturally love ourselves. Notice Jesus doesn't, he doesn't get into the self-esteem and all that sort of rubbish that's often taught today. Jesus knows you love yourself. <laughs> Humans are just naturally selfish people. We, we want to look after ourselves. We want to give ourselves food and sleep and, and pleasure and comfort and significance and all these other sorts of things. But Jesus says, love your neighbor. Notice he says, as yourself. That's not a command to love yourself, by the way. That's not the point. Jesus, the command is, love your neighbor. And so we as humans already love ourselves. It's, that's the natural thing. We take care of ourselves. We take showers. We wash our hair. We put on makeup. We go and buy food. We do all sorts of things. We even pay for air conditioning or heat in the winter, whatever it might be, right? We do lots of things to take care of ourselves. We go see the doctor, whatever we need to do. We make sure that our needs are met. That's normal. Make sure our needs are met. But do, do you think of love for others as something that will come naturally to you? Or do you think of love as a spiritual character that you must develop? 
Uh, well, I hope you don't, again, don't think of it as a natural thing. It is a part of the fruit of the Spirit, love. The Spirit is the one who does this within us. And so until we are accepting the truth that it's not natural for us to obey this command, we're not going to get victory in this area. We're not going to obey this great command to love our neighbor. We just won't. We need to understand it's, this is a supernatural work of God in us. So let's look specifically at what Jesus says here of what love is. So we've seen it's, it's not a natural action. All right, We need to understand that basic foundation. It's the work of the Spirit in you accomplishing that purpose. But what, what is love look like here? Number one, love is unexpected. Totally unexpected. In verse 33 it says, a Samaritan, <laughs> as he journeyed, came to where he was, that's the, the injured man, when he saw him, he had compassion. So this is unexpected because Jesus switches from, notice he's no longer talking about the priest and Levite, now he mentions a Samaritan. Now you need to understand something about this time period understand how significant how significant this is so a samaritan was not a pure-blooded jew a, a samaritan by the way lived in that region right between galilee in the north judea in the south of israel samaria is right in the middle that's the region when the assyrians conquered it 722 bc what they did is they would bring in all these gentile peoples who would intermarry with the Jews, thus squelching the patriotism that might rise up against the empire of Assyria. That was their way of doing things. Well, the Jews who lived up in Galilee and down in Judea, they didn't like the Samaritans because of that. In fact, they disliked them so much, sometimes what they would, often what they do is they'd purposely walk over the Jordan River to the east, walk up on the, uh, the side there in Moab, and then they would cross back over the Jordan River into Galilee, just so they didn't have to go through Samaria. That's how much they hated them. And so Jesus is picking someone whom they hated. See, the Jews expected someone like a Samaritan to not help another Jew. They expected the Samaritans to come and finish him off. Here, let me help you. I'll kick you while you're down, so to speak. That's what they really would have expected. And in real life, a Samaritan would have been the worst of all. If anybody would have helped him, it would have been a priest and a Levite. But no, not this guy. He, he's, he's even worse than the robbers, as far as the Jews were concerned. So there's no natural reason for the Samaritan to show neighborly love. You need to understand how radical Jesus' story is to really get the point of this. It's totally unexpected. And it's easy to, for us, I mean, just think about us here for a moment. Isn't it easy to love the lovely? If you're going to love anybody, you're going to love the lovely, the nice people, the ones who are good to you. Uh, we, we love people like us. We, people, we, we love people who like us. Those are the people we tend to like. It's people who are different from us we find very difficult to love. It's the unlovely people, the prickly people, that are very difficult to love. It's not Again, it's not natural. 
See, people who like us who, or who are like us, they don't have any hang-ups, supposedly. They don't have those issues, those difficulties, or uh, some expectations that might bother us or frustrate us. So those are people easier to love. And so we need to understand it, it's, it's not just people who are like us who, or who like us that we're to love. The point of this is showing it's all people who are your neighbor, and we're to love all people. So, do you love only those who are easy to love? Of course you love those kind of people. Or do you love those who are hard to love as well? That's the question. Soul-searching question. Oh, boy. And by the way, this message has hit me right between the eyes really hard. I need to hear this message, and so do you. But in verse 33, notice... Jesus says the Samaritan was on a journey. So as the Samaritan's journeying, so the man's traveling, in other words, it's not a place you would just go for an afternoon stroll. He's not just walking around the block. He actually has a place he's going to. And it was very difficult. As you can see, there's the Jericho Road. That's what it looks like today, by the way. That little winding path around the cliff is the Jericho Road. It goes through the, through the mountain wilderness of Judea as it heads over to Jericho. So this, the, the man in Jesus' story is traveling on that road. So that, I hope that helps you to, to picture what's going on. You, you didn't just go for an afternoon stroll. You, you had a purpose in what you were doing as you would walk on this Road. So he has plans. He's not expecting these plans to change. Not expecting to see what he sees. He, he didn't want to see an injured man. And so when he sees the injured man, notice his plans changed. And he did something about it. So as we think about application, I hope that you will pray and look for divine appointments in your own life. Every day, pray and look, and then look for those divine appointments. In other words, God is going to give you appointments. He's going to make, He has plans for you. You might have your own plans. And, and by the way, it's not unwise to have plans. The Bible talks about that. It's okay to have plans. But you need to be flexible in those plans. And so as you pray, God will often change your plans, and you need to be willing and able to change those and go according to God's plan. And so do you ask the Lord to guide you throughout the day? I hope you are. Do you ask Him to work through your life? He can. He will. He is. And so if so, then He's going to answer that prayer, and you need to be ready. Many times those moments will come unexpectedly might happen when you're driving, for example. <laughs> One day, this, this sort of thing happened to me. I, I saw a young man in front of me on a scooter got hit by a car. And I was one of the first people to go over and help him. I'm glad I did, because his leg was in the shape of an L, a capital L. He had bones sticking out his leg, and he didn't even, he was in so much shock, he didn't even know it. That morning, you know, when I woke up that morning, I didn't put on my schedule, 
help a young man who gets hit by a car as he rides a scooter. It wasn't on my schedule. That sort of stuff doesn't enter your mind normally, right? It was a divine appointment that God had given me. So what do you do with those divine appointments, though? Hopefully you answer them the way that God wants you to. So does your love for others ever cause you to change your plans? should. You should. You need to be flexible because love is unexpected. Let's just think about this for a moment. See, we need to love the world. I don't, I don't mean the physical world. We're talking about people. Just like John 3.16 where God says he loved the world, the people in the world, by giving his only son. We're, we're to love the world as, lo- as well. People whose lives have been affected by sin, it's a mess. It's a mess. And may I remind you, your life is also affected by sin. And the more you remind yourself of that, it'll help you to have grace toward those lives who are messed up by sin. Uh, there's people who reject Christ, who reject Christ's followers, the Christians of this world. We need to be ready to love them. There, there's a lot of people who have a vastly different worldview. A lot of people, and it's frustrating trying to love these people who have a vastly different worldview from me. I want them to be like me. I want them to see the Bible the same way I see it. Very frustrating to love them the way they are and help them to take that next step in their journey, in their life. We also need to love believers. See, new Christians, you know, they're at that beginning stage of life. That that can be a little frustrating for, for some people who have been saved a long time, might be considering themselves mature in the Lord. You need to be gracious to new believers, recognizing, hey, you used to be there too. Sometimes older Christians who should know better and don't act like they know better, that's also frustrating, isn't it? And we need to love them as well, even the older mature Christians who who are not acting mature. The bottom line is, if we're going to express Christ-like love, we must have compassion. So one of the biggest criticisms against believers is like you see in these photos I want to show you. There's a lack of compassion, a lack of love, a lack of tenderness. By the way, this is coming from one church, a small church. They purposely are obnoxious. It's a church in the United States where they they protest against soldiers' funerals. They protest against homosexuality, uh, abortion, and it, you know sorts these sorts of things. They think it's their mission, their God-given mission, to protest against these sort of things, and they travel around doing this sort of thing. Unfortunately, they're giving a bad name to Christ. That is not our mission. And it's one of the biggest criticisms against Christians because they're, they're, they're not the only ones, you know. We, we may not be carrying signs around saying this, but maybe in our demeanor, in kind of the way we say things, we might be giving a wrong impression, a lack of tenderness and compassion to people, even though we're not carrying the sign. So we need to be aware of that. Are we loving them? Showing compassion. Oh, we, we, like I said, we may not be standing with a placard 
saying that 9-11 is, is God's judgment on the homosexuals. But does your love for others demonstrate a Christ-like compassion? No matter what people are or no matter what they do. By the way, Jesus doesn't say accept their sin, but you must love the person. But does your love for others demonstrate a Christ-like compassion? It doesn't matter what the, the people are or do. You still need to show compassion. So what is love? Number three, love is dangerous. It's dangerous. So again, you'll see a picture of the Jericho Road on the screen there. The, the Jericho Road was a dangerous place. And in verse 30, Jesus says that there was this man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. He fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. But then we got a Samaritan. He comes along on this journey, comes to where he was in verse 33, and when he saw him, he had compassion. So the Samaritan spent time here in a dangerous place to take care of the injured man. So he's more concerned about taking care of the man than he is for his own safety. Sometimes love can be dangerous. Now, there's always danger when we express love to another person, which is why some of you might be tempted at times to avoid people. Probably all of us at times are tempted to avoid people. Because it's dangerous. It can be hurtful when you strive to love people. I'll give you just a few examples, and you'll see some pictures up on the screen here. Marriage can be dangerous. See, there's the danger of divorce in marriage. There's the danger of pain. Your heart can be hurt in marriage. Happens to everybody, by the way, because of sin. By the way, if you're saying, oh, that's me, I've been hurt by my spouse, well, you and everybody else in the world. There is a danger, though, of divorce in marriage. In parenting, there's the danger of rebellion. You can have your children rebel. In the church, there's the danger of disappointment. By the way, notice the sign on this church. This, I, I find this kind of humorous. The sign on the church says, Google can't satisfy every search. It can't. Dr. Google is not omniscient. <laughs> is he? That thing we call Google, the Internet, does not know all things and cannot solve all problems. And, and in the church, there's a danger of disappointment. You're going to be disappointed with your pastor because he's a sinner. I'm going to be disappointed with you. You're going to be disappointed with each other because you're all sinners. And we need to know that. But we shouldn't run from each other just because we disappoint each other. And in close friendship, there is the danger of exposure. You put your heart out there to be stabbed by friends. And that can hurt. Your heart can be broken, as the picture shows there. So how do you handle the danger of love? Well, option number one is you avoid love like the plague. As in the Black Plague, you know, that killed most of Europe a long time ago. 
Oh, you can avoid getting hurt, possibly, if you become a hermit. But then you're just going to hurt yourself. You can also miss out on the benefits of giving and receiving love. There's a picture of a cemetery on the screen here. Here's my point, because I hope you get this. If you're one of these people, you avoid love like the plague. Then in parenting, for example, you might say, well, hey, I don't want to face the possibility of a rebellious child. I'm not going to have children. I'm not going to love children because they might hurt me. You know, they, they might take drugs, they might get drunk, they, there might be an unwanted pregnancy, there might be an unplanned death. Yeah, there might be. As parents, there's danger of, of that sort of thing if you have children. But you also have the opportunity as a parent to love that individual so you can help them provide healing, counseling. You can experience joy with children. In so many ways, you can help them overcome their disappointments. You help them lead them to marriage and godliness so that they fulfill God's purpose in their own life. There, there's so, so many joys that come with being a parent. There's many joys that come with being a grandparent as well. See, without love, there wouldn't be grandchildren, would there not? And so if you avoid loving people because of possible dangers, then you're also going to avoid all the benefits, all the blessings, and all the joys that come with that. So in a fallen world, you must love. You need to be aware of the expectations. There are dangers, but there's also wonderful joys, even in a fallen world. And so option number one is you avoid love like the plague. You could you can be like the two men in the story Jesus is talking about. You could be like a Levite or a priest, or you can be like the Samaritan. That's option number two. You can accept the danger because love is dangerous. And the only way you're going to, well, for me, the only way I can do this is understand love is a God-given desire. Because God is love, then I also can love. Love is a God-given commandment. That's not an option. He commands us to love other people as ourselves. And so God will heal when you're hurt. Yes, you're going to be hurt. Multiple times you will be hurt. If you choose to love as God calls you to love, you will be hurt. But guess what? God's also going to heal your hurt. And God's never going to give you more than you can handle, the Bible says. And so, let me ask you this. Do you love only when it's safe? Or when you think it's safe? Or does your love ever take you to a place where you actually have to depend on God? Because that's where our love should be taking us. And that's a good place to be. And by the way, if not, then you have not yet come to a place where you are loving God's way. If you're not dependent upon Him to love others as yourself, then you're not loving God's way. So those are the options. You can avoid love, or you can accept the danger that comes with love. And of course, Jesus is saying, accept the danger. Love everyone as you love yourself. Number four, what is love like? Well, love is inconvenient. It's inconvenient. 
Because notice what verse 33 says. Verse 33 says there's a Samaritan. As he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. In the picture you see somebody's painting of a Samaritan. Notice what the Samaritan's doing. He, he stops. He takes care of this wounded man. So, number one, he had to lay aside his plans. His schedule did not trump God's command to love his neighbor as himself. He had to lay aside those plans. If he had a cell phone, he may be, which he didn't, you know, in our day, maybe we could have sent a message ahead of time to Jericho and say, sorry, I'm going to be late for my appointment. But he can't do that. <laughs> so he's laying aside his plans, maybe his reputation. He, he used his own personal resources, because the Bible, did you notice what the Bible says? Verse 34, he's using his own personal resources by binding up his wounds and pouring oil and wine to help this man. That stuff didn't just appear out of thin air. He's using his own resources. He's spending his money, in other words. He also had to lay aside his own comfort. Notice there's an animal here with... <laughs> this man has an animal. Probably a donkey, I would assume. He may have been riding that donkey, which is very helpful when you're going on these kind of places. Very helpful. It's very difficult climbing up hills. Donkey is useful for that. It's useful for, for carrying his stuff as well. So he doesn't have to carry it. That way he's not the donkey. But he's laying aside his comfort using his animal to help carry this man to Jericho. The other thing he does is he's going out of his way to take care of the man. And so this is not a quick fix because the Bible says... It wasn't just a, well, here, you know, like you might see a homeless person, you might drop a few coins in his hat as you walk past him to your car. No, this is not a quick fix, because the next day he's getting involved in this man's life again. He's not just throwing money at a situation. Let me ask you, does your love for others bring inconvenience to your life? Or is your love... Limited by convenience. Hey, I'll love other people as myself when it's convenient. Is your love limited by convenience? I hope not. Sometimes our attitude is, is like this. Hey, you know, I'll express love as long as it's easy to me. Or I'll express love as long as it doesn't make me have to go out of my way. Or I'll express love as long as I get something out of it. Then I'll express love, but it, you know, if it, none of those things, nah, forget it. My friend, if the only time you express love to others is when it's convenient to you, then you don't know the love of God yourself. Do you think it was convenient for Jesus to leave heaven, to come to earth, to live among us, to die the sacrifice for your sin, do you think that was convenient? No. Love is not often convenient. We need to understand God's love. Number five, what is love? Well, love is sacrificial. Love is sacrificial because you see in verses 34 and 35 what this man does. 
This, this man in Jesus' story here is sacrificing, number one, his resources. Whatever he's using to bind him up, some sort of a cloth, I would imagine. Uh, he's using his own wine, help, help with the wound. He's using his own oil. He's using his own animal. He's taking the man to an inn. He's paying for the man to stay at the inn. So he's, it's resources, time, and money involved there. You see in verses 34 and 35. So his resources, his time, and his money. And by the way, he's doing all of this with no thought of being repaid. That's not why he's doing this. You know, he's not, he didn't do a Google search to find out, oh, this is one of the 100 richest men in Israel, so I'll help him because he's going to repay me. No, he, that's not why he's doing this. So you need to understand that love goes beyond convenience. Now, I can be inconvenienced if I know I'm going to get something out of it. But Jesus uses the story to demonstrate here the idea of sacrifice. See, true biblical love for others is unconditional. That's, that's what agape love is. It's, it's not based upon conditions. God loved us first. Before we were lovely. We're, we're still not lovely. <laughs> but He is making us lovely. God's love is unconditional. And, and, and our love needs to be God-like. A true biblical love for others is unconditional. See, we should not base our expression of love on some perceived benefits that we can get in return. It's sad how many times people use a Hollywood love or a, that sick type of love, which is not really love, is it? To, and, and we kind of use that to manipulate other people. And when we do, we're just being immature. We're being selfish. We're imitating a worldly kind of love. Let me ask you, do you do for others so that they will do for you. If you do, then it's wrong. Do you do for others hoping that they will do for you? Do you do for others thinking they ought to do for you? Even if you're thinking that way, that is still wrong. You're not loving your neighbor as yourself. That's not biblical love. See, biblical love says, I actually love you no matter what. I love you no matter what, and I love you unconditionally, even if you never do anything for me in return. No ifs, no conditions. So if your love for others is based at all on what you can get back, you're, you're, you're not only missing the point of biblical love, but you're actually setting yourself up for a huge disappointment. I've been reminded as I've been thinking of this message, unrealistic expectations destroy contentment. Unrealistic expectations destroy contentment. See, you need to have the expectation is, I'm giving sacrificially. I'm going to love that person unconditionally. It doesn't matter if that person never does or gives me anything. It doesn't matter. God tells me to love them. Therefore, I'm going to. So, do you love with a sacrificial love, unconditionally? Number six, last point Jesus gives here is that love is 
not just a one-time thing, but it's ongoing. It's ongoing. Because notice in verse 35, this man takes the wounded man to the inn, and he says, when I come back. He's expecting to come back. He knows this is an ongoing process. He's not just throwing money at it and a little bit of time. See, I'm going to come back. I'm going to, I'm going to come in and look in on this man. I'm going to see if there's anything else that needs to be done. And I'm going to pay. I'm going to spend some time. I want to be his friend, not just throw money at him. I was thinking about application of this. Perhaps, by the way, the, the hardest part for me, I'll just be honest, let me bear my heart to you, is I'm impatient. Some of you might be as well. It comes with my sin nature. I'm impatient. See, I want people to be fixed now. Or maybe even yesterday. <laughs> right? Like, I want my children to be like Jesus Christ now. I want you to be like Jesus Christ now. I want my workmates to be like Jesus Christ now. And when they're not, I get angry and frustrated. I need to look in the mirror and say, you know the guy in the mirror, I'm looking right at him. He's not like Jesus Christ yet either. I need to show some grace. I need to recognize I'm the greatest sinner I know. See, expressing biblical love is not a one-off. It's not you just do it just once. It's an ongoing thing. You know, sometimes we do this when we, when we lead somebody to Jesus Christ who might have the kind of an attitude, well, see, I brought this man to Jesus Christ, and so, you know, I can just kind of move on, leave him alone. I've done the hard work, supposedly. <laughs> Some people kind of have that attitude. I don't want to get involved in his life, his sanctification, and help this man become more like Christ. That's hard work. Or, you, you, you know, some of you women might think, well, hey, I've discipled her for many years now. It's time for me to move on. Ooh, really? Is that what God wants you to do? It's not, a, well, I, you know, I did my part, and it's time for somebody else to step in and do their part. So we need to recognize... Love is ongoing. I'll give you a silly example to hopefully get the point across here. You know, sometimes people might think, well, hey, you know, I married my wife. I, I, I loved her. And uh, in, in my situation, I've been married 21 years now. And so maybe it's just time for somebody else to step in and love my wife. I've put in 21 hard years. Some of you, your eyebrows, I can just... The look on your face is telling me everything. I can see you're thinking, that's strange, weird. And it is. It's weird for me even those words to come out of my mouth. But yet we live this way. <laughs> we live this way. Uh, you know, here's another silly example to hopefully get the point across. Yes, imagine somebody saying, well, hey, I've taken care of my child for two years, and it's, it's time for somebody else to feed my child. You know, children are really expensive. I know. <laughs> I know they are. But it's your God-given responsibility, is it not? It's an ongoing thing. 
Those thoughts that I just gave you are totally unnatural, which is why some of your eyebrows were, were doing the, the, the furrowed brow thing. You know it's unnatural. But how can we ever say that about others, especially people in our own families or in the family of God? So let me ask you, does your love for others have a limit? Are you thinking, well, there's only so much I will do or I can do. There's only so so much that I can endure. Well, I'm not talking about allowing yourself to be abused or mistreated, by the way. Okay, please understand, that's, that's another ditch you can fall into. Some people endure too much. They allow themselves to be physically abused. There's laws in New Zealand that will help you in that regard. Use the laws. Okay, Don't put yourself in danger where you're physically abused. I've had to consider, do I let this person into my house? I've helped people before, wondering... Could that person injure or kill one of my own children? I've I've thought about that. In loving people, it can be dangerous. But don't be a fool. Because sometimes you can allow yourself to be abused or other people to be mistreated because love can be dangerous. And I'm not talking about loving as Christ loves. That's not really possible for us. Notice the Bible doesn't say, love your neighbor as Christ loves. That's not what the Bible says, does it? It says, love your neighbor as yourself. That's doable. It's still very hard, isn't it? But it is doable. So does that love have a stopping place? And if so, you still need to grow in your love for others. It's not the same as Christ's love. The Bible says to love your neighbor. That's, by the way, other people. It's not just the person who lives next to you. Let's be clear. Not just the person who lives right next to you. Jesus' point is the neighbor is anyone whom you come in contact with. And So love your neighbor with this intense form of love here that Jesus is demonstrating through the Good Samaritan. By the way, Jesus never said that following him would be easy. This is not easy. I know that. You're thinking this is impossible, some of you might be thinking. But Jesus did say that he'd bless us, he'd help us when we follow him. There is blessings to those who obey him. So the basics of living the Christian life are not hard to understand, but doing them here is certainly difficult, is it not? It's hard to put this into practice. Being a doer of the word is, it can be difficult, but it's not impossible. See, God's given you everything that you need in this life. Everything you need to obey Him. He's given you everything you need to obey this command, to love your neighbor as yourself. So are you using what God has given to you? That's a good question to ask. If you're finding it hard, maybe you're not. Are you striving to follow this command? This this is the second greatest command that Jesus gave us. So I challenge you, Don't make excuses. Don't look for the exceptions to the rule like this guy may have been doing. He's trying to justify himself, the Bible says. So don't make exceptions to the rule. Just do what God's told you to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
Not in your own strength, of course, because you can't. And then pray for God's power here to not only love Him with all, but to love other people as you love yourself. Pray for that kind of love that God has to come upon you, that God has called you to. And through His grace, He can enable you to obey this command. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You for these great teachings of Jesus Christ. May we take them to heart. May we not only read them and see them, may we understand them. May our hearts be inclined to, to study this, to know it deeper, to know exactly what you're saying, and then be a doer of the word and not a hearer only. Give us the grace that we need to fulfill what you've said here for us to do, because we can't do this in our own strength. This is impossible. It's not a natural thing for us to love other people as we love ourselves, because we love ourselves so much. That comes naturally, but this is unnatural. So give us the supernatural ability to do this. And may others see the good works that we do, and may they bring honor and glory to our Father in heaven. In your name we pray. Amen.